Yes, g'day and welcome back to the Off The Tips podcast. Just Cal here today and we're going to do something a little bit different than the weekly pod this week. I know it was a great week at the US Women's Open, but we wanted to change it up. So I had the privilege of sitting down with my old mate, Matt Wallbank, otherwise known as the Kiwi Caddy, to discuss his life in golf, course design and the things that he's got on the horizon. But Matt has plenty of layers and one thing that we do touch on is the work that he's done for charity just setting himself these outlandish challenges physically to to raise over 50k for i am hope and and waikato youth so it's an incredible chat and one that i think you're you're gonna love and just excuse my neighborhood dish liquor that made an absolute ruckus during periods of this podcast enjoy here's maddie Wolverine. Yeah, so welcome to the podcast, the the Kiwi Caddy, Matt Warbank. It's great to have you on, mate. It's been a long time in the in the waiting, but it's yeah, good you've to finally get you. A couple of times, mate, but we made it. We made it. A few technical issues. A few technical issues, time zone <laughs> issues. Never um, that huge never two hour up. that two hour window. Eh? It'll get you. <laughs> yeah, well, mate. Um, just for the listeners, the the Kiwi Caddy, like I kind of described in the intro, is just. I'll pretty much read his, his website bio word for word, a guide to the world of golf through the eyes of a Kiwi, searching for destinations, courses, shots that will make you smile. We tell stories, provide course guides and share itineraries in the hope that you'll pack your bags, book a flight and find the golf you are looking for. We hope that something here guides you to, to a tea you didn't know existed or tempts you back for a second crack. crack. Life is far too short to play bad golf. So, Matt, just before we get into the Kiwi Caddy stuff, just talk to me about your introduction to the sport and and where kind of your passion for the golf developed. Yeah, um, so I started, just trying to think, I I started playing when I was maybe 14, um, just hacking it around. One of my mates is much better than I am, so I picked up a little bit of stuff in the game from him. Um, and then went from there and mum real, quickly realised that it was a pretty easy babysitting option in the holidays. So she'd, she'd pack me in a car at 7am on the way to work and drop me at the golf club every day of the school holidays and um, probably pick me up on the way through it at 5.30 as the sun goes down. You get 10 bucks and that'll sort you out for food for the day. So a lot cheaper than school care, I guess. So that, that was sort of sort of my introduction and then took a big break. Um, just got real busy playing cricket and doing other things and took maybe a six six or seven year break and then managed to find my way back into the game maybe two or three years ago. And that's where you wanted to kind of delve more into it, like uh, the evolution of the, the Kiwi Caddy. Where, where did that kind of idea come from? Um, I think – there's just, I mean, specifically for, for New Zealand, there's never really been a great resource for, for re- finding out about golf courses. I mean, I remember looking around and, and trying to trying to figure out exactly where 
I want to play golf. And all there really is to go off is, is lists of the top 50 courses in New Zealand rather than a, and even then it, it, all it is is literally just the name of the golf course and where it is. Um, there's, there's really not much that dives deeper into the, into the courses and sort of gives you a little bit more background information. So I think that was probably the, the big sort of stigma for it. And, and, and then from there, I started doing a little bit of writing for a publication in the UK called The Wandering Golfers. Um, and, and that started, I, th- I think the first piece I wrote was about going to Augusta in 2019. Um, and that sort of just fired something in me that I quite liked writing and quite liked writing about golf and realized I actually, golf was actually more than just sort of playing golf. There, there's some something that it, it made me feel something a little bit bigger than that. So. Yeah, I guess that was probably the the catalyst for, for starting it. Would you say when you went to Augusta that you were really taking in the, the way the course looked on the eye and the way the golfers kind of played it based on the, the way it's designed? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, Augusta is an interesting one, especially for, for course design because I'm not – I mean, there's a big thing at the moment about is has Augusta actually been good for golf and, and what it stands for and what it looks like. Um, and honestly, the whole experience of walking through the gates, is, the whole thing's just so overwhelming. It's so hard to take take anything away from the course design. Like I can remember, obviously, the, the, the big thing that everyone talks about is it's the hills are way steeper and it's a harder walk and, and it's just bigger than you think. But... Um, Honestly, the whole experience was just so overwhelming that I, I just didn't get bugger all from a from an architectural standpoint. Where did the the like passion for course design come from? Because you you're very knowledgeable when it when it comes to that sort of stuff, and I'd imagine as a 14 year old getting dropped down at <laughs> St Andrews, it wasn't really crossing your mind. You were you were not an architecture nuffy from yeah. from that age, I'm presuming. No, for sure. I think it's just, uh, I think particularly last year going to Scotland and playing a little bit of golf there was, was huge for me. And it was trying to put together the dots of why, why do I like that golf so much more than I like the golf here? But it, in, a, in a completely different way, it made me think about, I play at Hamilton Golf Club and what, what makes the holes at Hamilton Golf Club good and why I like playing there versus why I like playing somewhere else down the road. Um, and, and that sort of just lit a fire and, and from there it was just, well, what does everywhere else look like? What, where can I go that looks different that I might like more? And just trying to figure out what, what I like and what, what I don't like and why that might be. So most of it's coming off the back of kind of just eye test rather than a lot of research? I definitely do a lot of reading. Um, I live on, there's a, there's a great, uh, website called Golf Club Atlas, uh, and it's maybe the greatest website like resource in the world. If you want to know anything about a golf, there's a discussion forum, and I just absolutely lurk in it. And just if I want to know anything about a golf course, then I'll just search it in there and just look at the top five topics. Um, it was done by a guy called Rand Morissette. Um, don't know, he's 
done an incredible amount of travel and played an incredible amount of golf and just has a real nice way with, with words and, and explaining things in a normal way. And Jeff Shackelford's the same. I've read quite a lot of Jeff's stuff. So, yeah, I guess I test and uh, research to figure out what why I think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you do get in the classic kind of golf rabbit hole on the internet and oh every day literally every day um i I, my flatmates make fun of me because i just sit in this corner of the couch and just over there and make a bloody human size indent and normally i've got my laptop and i'm reading something or writing something or it's kind of just i don't know i just just so intrigued by it and and just find it so interesting and you might have kind of already answered this, but when you are playing or, or viewing a golf course, to make a call, how do you make a call whether it's a good design or not? Like, is it just that same well, sort of thing? For me, whether I, when I, I know a course is really, really good when I want to go back. After I've finished, I want to go back to the first tee. Um, that's, as, and that's how on, on my website, that's how I generally rank my my golf courses or put them in I put them in buckets so not to not specifically rank them um, but throw them in buckets and and basically the the key defining factor is how much do I want to play it again tomorrow if I got the opportunity which of these courses would I want to play tomorrow so this uh, for me the the key things in golf course design are options uh, how many options do you have how much variety is there um can, and and how can everyone golf their ball around it so there's just if you look at all the great courses that get ranked so highly there's often just thousands of options on how to play the golf holes um and i think that's what gets lost and especially in new zealand is if you just because a lot of our golf courses have just been lined with trees and they've just grown and grown and grown and they've just become so tight it just takes away every option on how to play the golf hole because no angles it's just target golf and i think for me that is just not the fun way to play the game uh, especially for me because i probably spray my driver more than others which doesn't help but i think i honestly believe that if you just let someone who knew nothing about golf go out there and cut down 50 percent of the trees on every golf course in new zealand you'd i think that just automatically become so much better <laughs> just because it opens up so many options and and it opens up the variety as well yeah it is all subject to kind of personal preference that's what the great thing is about about golf but what i've found about the best courses kind of i've played is the trouble isn't just off the tee like it is a lot of the time in new zealand you've got thinking about your shots into greens and and where to miss is a far it's a far more technical and and fun way to play whereas you know a lot of courses especially around where we're from in the Waikato you just you hit the fairway and you hit it to the middle of the green it's kind of I just I just look at look at a course like the old course it's as wide as anything and even if you're off the fairway you've still got an opportunity to 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 create something out of it like you've it's all down to angles like you might miss your target by a mile but you've you've still you're not going to lose your ball and you've got a chance to recover and it'll be a bloody hard shot and and chances are you're not going to pull it off but you've always got that opportunity to be able to do that and i think that that's what makes a course great and royal melbourne's exactly the same like just strategic angling like 
if you hit it on the right side of the fairway, you've got a much easier shot than if you hit it on the other side. You know, there's always one good place to be, one not so good place to be. Um, and I think TRI, I actually think TRI in New Zealand, the the, the South Course and new one, the core Crenshaw design, does a pretty exceptional job of doing that as well. Like I've heard people make remarks about it being too wide. Uh, it's too easy, but I think it's because it's wide. It, there's a there's a real number of angles that you can approach a different hole, and you actually have to look from the tee often at where the flag is, so that you can create that best angle. So it's just that deeper level of thinking, and honestly, it's just more fun. <laughs> Not looking for golf balls and and being able to hit hero shots is a lot more fun than being in the trees and chipping out sideways. Yeah, I I tend to agree, and obviously the the talk around professional golf at the moment is the the fact that the pros are just hitting the ball too far and bullying a lot of the courses. And I know this is the opinion of a lot of course designers is when guys that aren't so educated in, in golf course design are saying just grow grow the trees and grow the rough up instead of rolling back the equipment. What do you kind of think of that take? Because it pretty much goes against everything you've just said, doesn't it? Well, I just look at like the US, say the US Open last week or two weeks ago. It was people were moaning about how someone, what did someone shoot 62 or eight under 62? And I just look at that and the the next three days were f- what? What was the winning score? 10 under? Was it 10 under, yeah. nine under? Yeah, 10 yeah. under, nine under. I mean, the, the only, <laughs> I just think that people sort of get tied up in this like, Watch. They want to see players suffer, but long roughs. Am I allowed to swear on here? Yeah, mate, for sure. It's it's fucking boring to watch people play out a long rough. Oh, I agree. And it takes Just... away every like skill of the best players, like because everyone has. They all just have to bash it out sideways. I mean, I don't see how anyone enjoys watching that. And and. I just think if they can roll the ball back and they talk about, what, 5%, I just don't think that that's enough. And that's spoken from me as not a tour professional who gets paid to make the money. So, But I, what's taking 15 yards off Rory going to do? Nothing. Like That's one club. So it goes from hitting a sandwich to a gap wedge. I, I just don't think it's enough. <laughs> yeah, I think rolling back the, the driver is a – is a good way to go about it. I think, mate, just make those club heads a bit smaller and sh- show the skill a little bit more. But, geez, this isn't, this isn't a pro golf podcast. No, no, absolutely not. But, it, I mean, at the end of the day, you want to watch guys hit. Like, it's a lot more fun watching someone hit a, have to hit a few more, like, five irons into greens on a par four. Um, and, and it just it's going to show you who the best players are rather than the bomb and gouge sort of... Because the longer the longer the golf course is and the longer the rough, it just suits the bigger hitters, and and there's just no way around that. I mean, look at Beth Page; like Kisner's not going to win at Beth Page. No, no way. You know? I just for me the the LACC was a perfect example of when a golf course is maybe not long enough, but it plays firm, it plays fast. There's better angles, there's better places to be than others, and you re- play. You saw players really having to think their way around it. And they hit fun shots. Like, it's fun to watch that. <laughs> a lot more fun than watching them hack out of deep rough all the time. Like like winged foot when Bryson won. That was just like a... Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not, a that's not fun show. to watch. 
No, it's like exactly. the, the Sandbelt's perfect example. Like watching the pros play at Royal Melbourne's as good as anything, right? It's probably arguably the best thing to, to watch. That President's mm. Cup, like it just showed like how skillful a guy like Tiger actually is, even in getting into his 40s. He just like played flawlessly around there compared to a lot of other guys that were younger and probably in a bit better form than him. And, and that, again, is like Augusta has a lot of short grass around the greens as well. Like people are chipping off tight lies, big slopes, big runoffs. That's a that's a proper test of people's short games, you know. Like, there's nowhere to hide. It's it's not. That's better than having deep collared, like those deep collars that they have around a lot. Of, especially on the PGA Tour, you see it every week. There's quite deep collars of rough around it, sort of as a bit of an equalizer. Whereas yeah. the short grass really just shows who who the who has the best short game, who's got the the most options around the green. Yeah, and I think you've taking the words out of my mouth is yeah, having options around the mm. green is is far better to watch than just someone getting their highest <laughs> lofted highest lofted wedge out and just yeah chipping and running it like it's no, just, no, I, yeah. I 100% agree and that's why if you without even knowing it people if you just look at like a ranking list pretty much uh, I mean I can't speak for a lot of it but a lot of them have quite wide fairways. They're actually pretty playable and they've got a lot of short grass. Like people people just love it. And if you look at a list of New Zealand golf courses like the, that are ranked highly, they're generally the ones that have a point of difference. Like, well, they're not the tree-lined fairways that, that you probably make up like, what, 90% of New Zealand golf. People like the point of difference, but they might not know it. Yeah, I think that's that's very fair. It's it's just far more enjoyable to, to play mm. around there for for golfers of any any but level. The, like it. I think I think the biggest misconception is that that makes it that making it wide makes it easier. But if if the course is well designed and protected well and and it has that proper strategy, it's not any easier. But it, but what it does do is it makes it easier for a higher handicapper to get round without making it easier for a, for a low handicapper to score well. So it's, it's almost that like easy, easy bogey, hard birdie sort of situation, you know? And I think that generally that's the most fun way to play golf and it would solve a lot of pace of play problems too. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a different rabbit hole, the, the pace <laughs> yeah, of play issues. One I, one I really don't want to go down. <laughs> yeah. um, in terms of... Architects or course designers, who do you think kind of does that the best? I think that the two that people would revert to the most is Doak and Core Crenshaw. Um, and Alistair McKenzie was was the, I guess, the catalyst for it all. Like his, his principles still stand true and why anyone would go away from them, I'd really just don't understand i think that's been the biggest mistake in, in course design as people going away from from mckenzie's principles it just makes no sense like he literally built all the best courses that long ago like why would you not just stick to those principles like if any if anyone knows what they're doing it's got to be that guy doesn't it like Cyprus no, it does. the royal melbourne kingston heath like i don't know what what else do, what Titarangi. do you <laughs> Yeah, yeah, to the ring. <laughs> like, what do you need? You know. So I, I just think 
like Doak, Crenshaw, but it, it just speaks to why their courses are so successful as well. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I tend to agree, especially the minimalist approach that mm. Doak kind of runs is really rewarding. You can score well, but you can also be just as equally punished. And, and visually, I think vis- visually the minimalist stuff, admittedly Doak's had some pretty unbelievable sites to work on. Um, the ones that I've seen are probably as good a sites as <laughs> I've ever seen anyway. Um, but does a phenomenal job and, and again, just extraordinary – extraordinarily playable for everyone but also stimulating for for a good player which is for me the the best thing yeah and when you're gonna kind of heading to a new course that that you haven't played are you going as a golfer that is gonna review it or are you going as a course reviewer that is playing golf there if you understand what ac means by that question it depends. Yeah, no, I do. It, it sort of depends on the situation. Like normally I'm just happy if I can get around without uh, – like it's pretty hard to see a golf course if you're consistently 40 metres off the fairway, you know. <laughs> um, so generally I'm not really too worried about score if I'm seeing a course for the first time. I'm just trying to go around and just see see how it looks, try figure a few things out and, and try and actually see the – see the golf holes the way that they're supposed to be seen rather than chasing after my duck hook left and then chipping it back into the fairway and and otherwise but the thing is when you see a golf course once you'll never have a proper under you you can't have a proper understanding of the golf course the first time which makes it incredibly hard and why ranking lists are bloody difficult to do because it's really only you you're really only taking what one one experience a lot of the time and, and trying to frame that up and work out if it's better than the one next door, you know? Yeah. How often do you, do you kind of get back for a for a second look at, at these courses that you're reviewing? Do you kind of have a process that you go through when you when you are doing it? Not not typically. Like a lot of this I mean, I'm just starting to do a lot of stuff a bit more stuff overseas um, and that becomes increasingly difficult. It's a bit easier at home. Um, and, and I think I've seen most of the top 10 in New Zealand, like typically the top 10 in New Zealand, I've seen more than once. So definitely you learn, sometimes going back, you learn twice as much the second time just because you're seeing way more stuff and finding out a thousand different little nuances that you, you haven't seen before. But I think there are definitely courses that you can see once and keep it moving. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And do you, you tend to always play the courses that you go to, but are there any times where you'll go out and and not play holes and go just walk and, and really have a, have a look? I haven't yet. Um, that hasn't really been something I've done just purely because of time. Um, but going forward, I mean, we've got a big trip to Europe next year. So doing, doing six weeks of golf in Scotland and Ireland, which will be pretty cool. Um, and we're staying pretty much, I think we're staying most places four or five nights. So good opportunity to get out there and maybe see a couple of courses more than once and, and walk the courses and really try and figure them out a little bit more than you would just golfing your ball around. (laughs) trying to find it in the rough 
and this, these trips that you're going on, they've all kind of stemmed through the through the Kiwi Caddy. And what does that pro what does that process look like when you get approached to go and, and do these things? To be honest, the the UK trip next year, I've done most of the approaching. So um, generally, it just looks like just firing off an email to a general manager or or being introduced to um, someone from the club. Um, via someone else, which I've been pretty fortunate with so far. So generally that's been – because I think I think we're supposed to be seeing maybe 30 golf courses in six weeks. Um, so it's been quite a lot of organizing, and especially at the moment, like you see some of those top courses and their tee sheets are booked for, for the next year. Like you won't be able to get a tee time in 2024. So, But, yeah, fingers crossed we'll be able to see – um, some courses multiple times, and I think a lot they most of the course we're playing definitely deserve second looks as well. And so, you're going to play these these courses through the through the Kiwi Caddy, like we've we've established. But how? What do you see as the long term goal for the Kiwi Caddy, and what what does it look like in say two to five years time? Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. For for me at the moment, it's just a great little hobby side project sort of thing where it allows me to do something that I really enjoy and and write about it. And if if any if nothing else, it provides something of a of a guide for uh, even just my mates. You know, like if if you were going over to the UK, I'd hope that after next year, like that that would be a a pretty good like port of call for. Hey, look! This is like we can make a trip out of the, these courses that Matt thinks is like are worth seeing, you know. And I, I but who knows? It could go anywhere. I'd quite like to ex- definitely explore doing a bit more writing, but who knows what that again? Who knows what that looks like? I, for me, it's just a hobby, just a bit of fun at the moment. You've. So you talk about the writing that you do, which I've read, and it's it's good. I I really enjoyed those pieces on the on the wandering golfer, and we'll get we'll get to that. Have you ever kind of thought maybe a career in course design, or is that just in the too hard basket? I think that looks in the too hard basket at the moment. I'd love I'd I'd love to spend some time with course designers, like while they're doing a site, um, but. Yeah, I, I honestly sometimes I like I think Tarahidi for me was one that I just looked at and I just couldn't fathom the routing of the holes. It's just unbelievable. Like for everyone who knows the Tarahidi site, it's it's quite literally a big pine forest or was a big pine forest based on sandy soil, proper links terrain. But how you go from clearing out those trees to routing a golf course is just something I, I really just don't understand. And and the the routing of Tarahidi is pretty exemplary. Like it's literally you f- you stumble off the green onto the next tee. It's uh, ten meters max, and it's just a, such a great way to play the go- play golf. And and visually, it's just off the charts. So I, I think it might be slightly outside my wheelhouse. I think. <laughs> You you have to be kind of a special breed to think some of that stuff up, and you have to be a clever, clever fucker. It's pretty, yeah. um, it's pretty phenomenal. I mean, Cape Kidnap is another one. How the hell there's a golf course there? Just the aerial shots do it probably more justice than how good the routing is. But how you can build a golf course on that site is just outside my realm of possibility. I've 
it's just a crazy, crazy sight. And that's the most incredible thing. It's a great golf course, but the most incredible thing is that they got 18 holes out there. <laughs> yeah, I've actually I've never been to Cape Kidnappers, which is a big it's, regret of mine. I need to get there. It's pretty unbelievable. It's good, good fun. It's hard. It, I, I think it's the hardest golf course in New Zealand. Oh yeah. Uh, have you have you ever gone to a a site before or before they've started kind of putting the course together? No, the one I wish that I had gone out to first is Seven Mile. Um, I think it'd be incredible if, having spent like a month out there and just try and actually figure out what they're doing <laughs> and how they go from a sandy June land to to a golf course, and it's it's phenomenal. And I I think that would have been a special one because I I have this inkling it's going to be pretty unbelievable. So. You work through the Kiwi Caddy hasn't you haven't stumbled across any or had any interaction with guys that have designed courses, been able to pick their brains, obviously you say you'd like to go walk around a, a yeah, site with them, not, but you haven't actually ever, Yeah. Yeah, when when I was in Australia there was l- potential loose planning to to play with Mike Clayton at Metro where he's a member. Um, but unfortunately he he was actually caddying for Alvis Smiley at the I think it was down at the National or something like that um and that Australasian tour finale so finale yeah. that didn't quite eventuate but I think that would be a, a pretty special experience for sure oh yeah it would just, Pete, there, just he's one of, he he genuinely if if you if you want to listen to someone talk about golf who really really knows their stuff and and has some not not great not just great ideas but has a great way of expressing why it's important. And that's, I think that's the guy that you, I could listen to him all day. I just find him fascinating. And his principles are uh, very much in line with Alison McKenzie's. And I think a lot of common sense in there as well. You're never going to stray far from being a, a good, good designer and with good course knowledge. If you're, you're ad- adapting his principles, are you? Oh, no, for sure. I mean, I know there's been a, a in Australia, especially there's been a few uh, interesting interactions with members around tree removal. I think him trying to explain why less trees on the golf course doesn't doesn't make it a worse golf course has been a bit of a challenge for him. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think once once it's actually been done, it's one of those things that it just falls into place and and it, and it just makes sense and everyone probably enjoys it a lot more. Maybe not the pros. I I, I know that there's a few pros out there that potentially don't and, and and that's just a tournament venue but they just play a completely different sport oh absolutely and, and it's the way that they look at like i talk to my my mate who plays on tour uh quite often about golf courses and we have some great arguments because the courses that he thinks are great I just don't get at all, in the slightest, because he, he thinks he looks at it as a as golf as a as a job, like a scoring job, and he and and he loves tight fairways and target golf and and people having to like execute, like it's an execute thing, which which makes sense, but it's I mean ninety nine point nine percent of the public don't don't hit the ball like that, so <laughs> no, not at all. Do you what what kind of examples of run-ins do you think you've had that uh may be relevant to people in new zealand that you that would know 
don't know if we've had that many in in New Zealand. Um, but even any I mean, note? even what's that? Well, any of no, any causes of note that well, you guys I mean, tend I was to just disagree? Thinking, even at, even at St Andrews, like they in Hamilton, not not the old course. <laughs> this is the real St Andrews. That they they did take out a bunch of um, greenside bunkers. Like you, you yeah. probably know. Um, yeah, for sure. Was, the one I mean, on is an absolute crying shame. <laughs> they must have taken out fifty bunkers over the last five six years. Um, mm. And and the way that Denzel looks at it is, it just makes the golf course easier. But in reality, when you've got a green flanked by two bunkers with fuck all sand in it. The amount of ping pong that members play and, and it's just ridiculous. And so what they've done is they've, they've replaced the bunkers by these like runoff swales on one side. So there's, there's normally, normally they've kept one of the bunkers and, and blown out one of them and just left it as like a grassy runoff. I just think the golf course plays so much better, but I think he's he's sort of a little bit a little bit spent on it and thinks thinks we've been a little bit hard done by. I sixteen's definitely a better hole now. I still think they need to take the other tree out. Oh yeah, it's just open just open it up. It, all it's doing is just hurting the worst player. Like it doesn't really serve. A, I mean, for people who can like for better players, they'll hit it over that bunker regardless, and that tree won't come into play. But it overhangs for for a worse player. It overhangs their next shot, their second shot. So it's really it's really just guarding nothing. And what was your thought on them getting rid of the the big signature bunker on eighteen? <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't happy with that. Is it? That yeah. was I reckon. Oh, it was. Yeah, there's definitely. I can understand why. Um, it's just it's one of those things where it's the eighteenth hole and. It's such a signature. It's it was what people knew St Andrews for, right? It was just this, and I don't know how many people listening to this would actually know what it looks like, but it must be ten feet tall. Yeah, ten feet tall and well, probably twenty meters long. It's massive. It's the biggest bunker I've ever seen. Bigger than, oh, maybe not as big as four on Bamboogle Dunes, but and they had no fucking sand in it so these that was, houses, that was the these houses that was over the, the green these houses over the green were getting peppered from people <laughs> just sculling them and, and I've done it and so I can completely understand why why they did it but it definitely took away like an iconic sort of a bit of character feature of the golf course yeah for sure so I I mean architecture I guess has to has to balance both of, both of those things I think the golf hole is eminently more playable but still, you still have to hit a good shot. But it's definitely lost some character. Hmm. Yeah, hard, hard to argue with that. It's it is it's a little bit sad for the guys that are kind of come through playing there. But yeah, I I'd love Actually, to see it. I think, I think I I think I prefer every hole that they've changed there now than I did before they did the work. Okay. So it probably speaks to I well I mean it's only my opinion, but I I think they've done a really good job. There's still there's still more work they could for sure do, but I think I honestly think that it, when St Andrews plays firm and it plays fast, like it does, it does, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even now, I mean, it still plays reasonably firm and it's been pissing down for months. And I, I still think that as far as Parklands go in New Zealand, it's definitely in the top tier. Definitely design wise, I think you're right. And it is quite high. It's quite highly regarded too. 
Yeah, but I, just the dot it's design. funny. Like I, I see it on lists, and it, and it falls. It's fallen out of a lot of lists, like outside the fifty, which I, I just don't see how that's even, even possible. To be honest, do you think that's more the the way, like the condition of the course over the kind of last sort of little period, rather than the actual design? Well, I think design wise, I think it's got the best set of greens of any like club parkland course that I've I've seen in New Zealand. Um, just you don't really see that many golf courses. Oh, obviously, Titarangi's in a in a different level, but. Um, you don't really see clubs in New Zealand with great sets of greens, and I think St Andrews has a really, really good set of greens, which makes a huge difference to how good the. In my eyes, it's a great place to start for for how good a golf course is. Um, but yeah, you're you're probably right. I mean, it hasn't been as well conditions as as well conditioned as as it probably should have been. But I think this year will be interesting. They're they're actually hosting the New Zealand Amateur in November. So it'll be a it'll be a pretty good litmus test for for how how firm and how well how well conditioned they can actually get the golf course. I think I think yeah. that's what they need to focus on is if they can get it firm and keep it firm for members, it it just plays fifty times better because it brings all the swales and and the bunkers like the runoffs into play and just makes them so much more interesting rather than soft greens flying and sticking. Mm, yeah, and I think the condition of the course. It hasn't been through any fault of their own. I think the the fact that they're doing these constant renovations, taking out bunks and stuff, it's never going to be as and good it's as not, it was. But you got to give it a few like, years. It's not like clubs in Australia where there's a shitload of resources. Like money. The, the money's money's pretty tight. Um, I think there's three green keepers, so it's not like it's not like they've got a heck of a lot of resources to to really pump into them. So I think they're doing the best with what they can, and I, I think. Personally, I think they're, they're on the way to to making it a much, much, much better golf course, and and definitely should be more highly regarded than than it is from a design standpoint. Yeah, it's. I'm looking forward to getting back in and, and seeing it over. Yeah, well, you have over to see it. You have to you have to come see it in summer when it's playing. When it's yeah, playing for sure. Yeah, and you've just. To all the listeners, you've obviously got an outstanding brain when it comes to golf and, and golf courses. You made made your journey onto the the top one hundred Asia Asia Pacific course ranking nah, panel. Oceania, so it literally just covers what does it cover? I think the islands, Australia, and New Zealand. So it's pretty cool. It was a really nice opportunity to have, and it's definitely been good for me in terms of getting access to to places and. Um. Yeah, I've learned learned a shitload from it as well. How did how did this come about? Were you approached? I can't. I honestly can't remember. I, the guy who runs it um, is called. His name's David Davis. He's a um, he's he's Dutch, I believe, and he he's actually played the world top one hundred. He's played the top one hundred in the world. I think there's only thirty or forty people who have ever done it. Um, and so he he took over the site, and somehow we got talking, and I, I one of us mentioned something about it, and it just ended up eventuating. Um, there's actually only two of us from New Zealand that are on there at the moment, um, so I've been bloody fortunate, and I think we're due for a re-ranking 
maybe early next year. So still trying to get across as, as many as possible, specifically, well, particularly in New Zealand. What does the, the role involve, like, basically? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's changed a lot um, in the last few years. I don't, I think this will be the first re-ranking where there's been a panel. Um, and I think typically in the past they've sort because it's just really been a resource for people rather than an actual like real ranking. Um, so now it's just going through and, and literally just trying to work out what are what are the top 50 golf courses in New Zealand and, and being able to, if someone asks why, why this one's ahead of that, being able to give a, a good answer on that. Awesome. And if you were say, to say, okay, so what? why is Cape Kidnappers ranked higher than Cary Cliffs? Like, <laughs> if I was to give you I that. That's a good question. Um, and Pete, a lot of people will actually, I know a lot of people prefer Cody Cliffs. Um, I know that the, the views typically are actually better at Cody Cliffs, which people don't really know. Like, you you get more of the water out there. But I just think that the holes, the way that the holes are laid out, there's a bit more strategy at, um, at Kidnappers. And I think despite it being absolutely brutal, I think it does offer a few more options and, and a little bit more strategy. I think there's more holes where you really, really do have to think about how your ball is going to react to the to the turf rather than uh, – I think, uh, to be fair, when I played Cody, it was – pretty soft so it was really hard to get a grip on that but i think yeah t- typically i think that most holes at, at kidnappers just offer a, a, something a little bit more uh interesting and a few more options yeah that's and I, think the, I, I think the i think the greens at cape kidnappers not not conditioning wise i think the actual greens are uh, pretty significantly better yeah so You've recently been to the Sandbelt in Tassie. Like you said, the, the old course, was it last year or the year before? Yeah, last and year. So how do these courses, well, particularly the Sandbelt and and the, the Lynx courses in the UK compare to what we have in, in New Zealand? Yeah, it, it's... It's pretty interesting. I mean, the the most amazing thing to me about the Sandbelt is just the the pure like depth of golf courses. It's and and just like the Victoria region in general, just the depth. Like they've probably got fifteen to twenty golf courses that would sit in the top ten of New Zealand or top fifteen in New Zealand, which is just a level of depth that we don't have. I, I feel like in New Zealand, there's probably a list of. 15 courses that you really do have to play um, and then you can I, f- I think you can kind of get around the rest of them um, whereas I, I think in, in Melbourne you could you could build like four different trips and just make the most of it and, and, and really play your way around and, and there's not a bad course but from a from a design, design standpoint I I think it, like I know I wank on about it but it's just options like every course feels like there's just a a bunch of options and and everything plays seems to play firm it plays fast it's bouncy it's sandy just a phenomenally interesting way to play the game 
Yeah, so there's just a lot of strategy when you go around a, a Royal Melbourne or a Kingston Heath, isn't there, compared to what well, you such to, the, I think the other thing, particularly with the Sandbelt, that I found interesting was they're all just so different. Like Kingston Heath and Royal Melbourne couldn't be much more – like if they didn't have similar bunkering styles – like they're such different golf courses. Like Kingston Heath is like the f- smallest, flattest property I think I've ever seen. There's like this one r- like June that runs through it, but uh, which maybe interacts with like maybe five or six holes. Um, admittedly, it probably creates the the best hole, which is you've probably seen that uphill par three. The, the I think it's the fifteenth heck of a golf hole. Probably my favorite par three in the world. Um, but compared, like just a tight flat little parcel of land versus Royal Melbourne, which is just vast, expansive. Everything's just on such a huge scale and there's huge undulation. But every that I think that was the most striking thing about Kingston Heath for me was it's just crazy that there's a golf course that good on, on that parcel of land. Yeah, do you have kind of a collection of, you obviously mentioned 15 at Kingston Heath, but any... What's your power ranking? Give me three holes at the Sandbelt that are that are your favourite. I could give you three at Royal Melbourne. Uh, five, 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 and six at Royal Melbourne are, are probably two of my favourites, and then like five's the the sort of it's, it plays quite long actually. I think it's about one seventy little par three, um, just flanked by bunkers. It's unbelievable, um, and then the sixth is like the it's the prototype for a dog leg without trees. A dog leg's right, um, and you sort of have to cut off. There's a big row of bunkers that just rides along that right edge of the fairway, and it just sweeps out right. And so it's basically how much do you want to bite off without getting in the shit? And if you get a bit greedy, you end up in the bunker and you're cooked. Um, and the less you bite off, the worse angle you have to this like elevated perch green, which is just smothered by bunkers. And for a left flag, if you're on the left side of the fairway, you're so cooked. <laughs> how how do you score around these uh, around Royal Melbourne? Did you did you go okay? You have to hit it. The mail I've got is you just have to hit it so high into greens. Yeah, but I think that that's only if you're out of position. Like if oh, you're okay. if you because it, 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 in a in a. From a strategic standpoint, I feel like in a lot of ways it plays a lot like the old course. Like it gives you opportunities to run the ball up if you leave your tee shot in the right place. But yeah, you're right. It's like St. Andrews where if you're out of position, you have to hit a high towering, like soft whatever you can to to get it to stop. But if you're from the right angle, you, there's nothing there to stop you running running the ball up a lot of the time. So I score, from a scoring standpoint, I, I just floated her. I'm not the best golfer going around by any means, but I sort of floated around, I don't know, late 70s to mid 80s. I found Victoria the hardest, to be honest. Like quite comfortably that? as well. I just found it had the most, for me, the most awkward tee shots. Great golf course. And potentially that back nine there might be, yeah, it's not it's not the best nine holes, but it's it might be the second best nine holes on the sand belt, I reckon. Why why is that? Just options same as you've been it's kind of saying. The front nine the front nine at the front nine at Vic is definitely flatter 
Um, it definitely occupies like the the flatter piece of land. There's still some great holes, and number ones are, are an awesome golf hole. Short little, I think it's like 225 meters. So you could genuinely hit a hit a hybrid on the green. Um, and three is a great hole, but the the back nine definitely just occupies just way better terrain. Um, just sweeping. I've got these memories of hitting these like sweeping uphill shots and sweeping downhill tee shots and i mean land a lot of the time which is why kingston heath so amazing is land often dictates how good a golf course like the ceiling of a golf course and if you've got like tarried is maybe the best site well maybe not in the world but the bit one of the better sites i've ever seen and same for royal melbourne like the terrain there's just wild um bamboogle dunes like it's all just natural landforms and in a lot of ways that sort of dictates the ceiling of how good a golf course can be. And the back nine at Virk, the all of Royal Melbourne West, and it just flies, at, Kingston Heath just flies in the face of that because it just flatters anything. <laughs> and how did, how did that trip to the Sandbelt compare to the golf course in Tasmania, which is probably a little bit more modern? Yeah, uh, just completely different golf, eh? Um, and even, I mean, you could just go down the Mornington Peninsula and play the National and it's just a completely different style of golf. Um, those two, those three golf courses down there are outrageously good, but in a, in a completely different way. Um, Barnboogle, I mean, just photographs <laughs> impeccably. Like it, You probably couldn't really take a bad photo of Barnboogle. Um, from, a, from a, like the, it's still sandy, um, still firm, still fast, still bounces around, which is really fun. But I think the the terrain is definitely more wild. Um, like you're going to hit shots that you definitely aren't going to find on the sand belt. Um, and I think the the thing that Australia does really well is there's some insane short fours everywhere. <laughs> so every I think Australians have got this thing where if a go, if a golf course doesn't have a one or even two great short fours then it's probably not going to be that great and Barnboogle Dunes has probably got the best short fours I've ever seen that's for sure but yeah from a, from a differentiation standpoint the greens are definitely more undulating at Barnboogle Dunes <laughs> they're fucking crazy you can get way out of position there um, yeah Sandbelt's probably a bit more subtle is probably the best way to explain it yeah and I'll just do a 180 back to the old course experience. How, mm-hmm. like, not just the old course, but the other Lynx golf that you played. I know the the boys, this the boys have been in an island, the off the tips boys, and they just the mail that I'm getting is just it's just such a different form of of golf, Lynx golf compared to even the Lynx golf that we have in New Zealand. So, can you kind of Talk me through what the differences between the Lynx golf we get in New Zealand, such as the most traditional would be Paraparumu, and then you've got your other courses, yeah, obviously Tiarai and stuff like that. And how does that Paraparumu, compare? I think Paraparumu is so good. Um, oh, yeah, so, for sure. So good. Um, just, I, I, all I want is for Paraparaumu to just burn off and just let it play as fast as possible. And 
I know that that's what Leo wants to do as well. The GM out there would love nothing more than to just see it burn off and play firm, play fast. And the stuff that he's done out there has been phenomenal. Um, one of my definitely top three or four in, in the country for sure. Um, what's the diff- the differences? It, a lot of it's turf, eh? And obviously yeah. the design, I, I mean, the old course is probably the best designed golf course in the world. Who knows? <laughs> but a lot of people will tell you that it is. Um, Carnoustie, the, just the most deadly fairway bunkers I've ever seen in my life. And a lot, yeah, as I say, a lot of it's turf. Like our, the Lynx courses that we have here are actually not the grass, it's like beach grass. Um, and it's sticky and it's poppy. Like you look at like Murawai, for example. The grass is real sticky, so it doesn't actually play like it should, like a like a proper links should. Like you, it sort of takes away the opportunity to run to really bounce the ball in and run the ball in. Whereas at St Andrews and and Carnoustie and all those sort of courses, you, you can really like the often the best option is to bounce the ball up, and you just can't really do that here. But there's, I mean, you could go into a thousand reasons why the design of the old course is better than. The design of, I don't know, Murawai or Hopi. <laughs> it's just pure, oh, pure yeah. links golf, and and people will probably get a great opportunity to see it again at the Open this year. And it's been hot there, and it hasn't rained, and it's going to be bouncy, which is going to be real fun. Yeah, looking forward to. But shit, to it, it takes it, it takes a while to work out how to how to play it when it's like that, though. When you when you don't have a much experience in it. Well. <laughs> We'll start to wrap up the golf course, course stuff. I'm sure you and I could probably talk about it for as as long as we possibly could. But just I've got a couple of um, a couple of things for you before we do. Back in New Zealand, I personally think we've got some of the best value for money hidden gems in the world, and even in the grand scheme of things, our our golf courses are are pretty cheap. And I know AC left a note for me to to say this as well is do you think we don't appreciate how good we have it in New Zealand in terms of access accessibility and, and green fees? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Like the most, one of the most fun experiences I had last year was playing at Waitara, which is like uh, down in Taranaki. Uh, it's 10 bucks, but it's got the back nine out there has some of the best holes you'll find in, in the country it's so much fun and, and it's literally 10 bucks there's no one there you just drop it in a, in a in a box pay your 10 bucks and walk out there and for 10 bucks I, I what's that five six us dollars i just <laughs> i don't know if people realize like even a mem- like a membership here what 15 1500 bucks for a full paying member and uh, a decent golf course yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. you're just not getting that overseas, and I think nah. people probably take that for granted a little bit. And there's really only what, like, two or three golf courses in New Zealand that you can't play without a member. Yeah, Tarrity, uh Royal Auckland, and what am I forgetting? The Hills, maybe. But you can pay a green fee at the Hills, so it's probably two. Mm. Yeah, it's. But the UK is the UK is not dissimilar. Like you can, I don't know if there's any. Is there any course in that top fifty in the UK where you can't pay a green fee? I, I don't. I can't think of one off my head. Mm. Yeah, and I I think Australia is 
pretty poor for it coming over here. Like mm. some of the best course in the world and all the all the good courses are private. You just can't yeah. – if you don't know someone or you don't have recips or – you just mm. can't get on. So, like, no. it's a bit, it's a bit of a shame. The, that was what was unusual in the sandbelt for me was that people who live in Victoria can't pay a green fee to play like Royal Melbourne. It's a shame. It is, it is. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess, who am I to criticise what Royal Melbourne does? No, you're, you're <laughs> right. Um, mate, you're, you're right in career. Uh just talk to me about about that. The wandering golfer. You did a really good piece on the old course that's up on their website. If anyone wants to go have a look at it, I highly recommend you do it. It's, it's a very articulate and good good piece of writing. I I enjoyed writing about it and or reading about it. And how did this kind of come about? The I, I literally just sent. I wrote a. I just wrote a piece on Augusta National and, and, and going to the Masters and fired that off and he picked a guy, Ben Smith, who started the Wandering Golfers, picked it up and ran with it and that was that really and we've sort of just gone from there and kept it rolling and I met Ben when I was in the UK last year and we've sort of just kept it going ever since. So, no, it's been cool. It's a nice way to get stuff published without any pressure and without any sort of obligations or anything like that. Just a fun way to... If I do want to do some writing for someone, a nice way to be able to show that I've I've done something before. Yeah, and how your stuff's obviously it's all opinion based, but how's it received generally? I think reasonably well. Um, haven't had a hell of a lot of like direct feedback, um, but Ben used to he did a lot of stuff for the BBC. Like he used to run the BBC golf stuff, um, and he really enjoys it. So. I'm pretty confident he wouldn't publish something on his website if he thought it was shit. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's a, enough of a enough of an indicator that I'm doing okay. That I don't know someone someone who knows what they're talking about would be able to pick it up and think that maybe I know a little bit about what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're underselling yourself there, but mate, I think it's it's really good. And have you got anything that you're thinking of writing about now, or do you just kind of when something comes, do you just I wrote, I, I wrote a piece on Bamboogle, so that was fun. Um, that was a really cool way to sort of articulate my thoughts and put put them out there. Um, it wasn't anything to do with golf course architecture, just more all around the experience and, and the experience of staying there and being there and um, and what that's like. So probably a good good one for Australians to, to get in there and read, um, if, especially if they haven't been out to Bamboogle and – Hopefully, again, that makes them want to actually get out there because it's bloody easy, especially from Melbourne. Mm. Yeah, just jump, jump on. I need to get down there. Actually, I just I've been 100%. so slack with my golf here. So it's, it's you talk about value. Must. That that is great value out there. Holy moly! It's like I think you can pay like an all day rate, and it's like a hundred and I think it's a hundred and seventy dollars, and you can play all day. Yeah. Just it's, outrageous. Probably the best value that, that you'll find, um, but probably anywhere in Australia, I'd imagine. Mm. No, I, I, I tend to think I need to get down there at, before 100%, it's mate. too late, you know. And yeah, uh, <laughs> um, mate, I, we can't kind of wrap up the pod until we talk about the stuff you've done, particularly for charity. Um, yep. 
so we'll move away from from the golf stuff and talk about that the first thing is the starters foundation offering obviously opportunities to the Waikato youth and you raised over 10k and yeah I think we raised about 30 something um so that's been good like all that money just goes into giving away stationery and uniform to kids who uh are starting school in low decile schools in the in the Waikato so lower socioeconomic groups so I think last year we helped just under 200 kids so pretty cool way to just be able to do something to give back and did a little bit of running to raise the money so it was like a um uh what was it a two days of hurt for 200 kids maybe a little bit of a little bit of running so the four four times four times 48 david goggins yep. challenge four miles every four hours for 48 hours like yeah but for those of you who don't know <laughs> Matt's a bit of an athlete, and um, <laughs> no, former athlete, more. And uh, that is just to the the normal punter like myself that, that gets out and does does his, does his three a week and runs a few k's. But like, geez, I can't fathom how how tough that must have been. Yeah, did no, you, that was. Did you take yourself was, to a dark place? Yeah, it was. It was definitely one of the darker places I've been in. Um, but yeah, I guess that was the catalyst for the next thing and raising money for for mental health. Um, and I ran a half marathon a day for a month, so I think it was no, that's it was six hundred and fifty four k in a month for so one one k for every life loss to suicide in the year uh, it proceeded. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, absolutely mad, and I don't think I'd sign up for it again. But it was. It was cool to. I think we raised over twenty grand for that, so that was pretty pretty good as well. So I think it. I think it ended up funding about one hundred and eighty mental health counselling sessions for New Zealand youth. So another pretty cool thing to be able to say that I did, I guess. Yeah, I I think we'll we'll move from the like what what you obviously did for the Waikato youth is so impressive, but the the mental health space is obviously something that it's talked about, but it's probably not talked about enough and off the back of I know I am hope lost their government funding a year or so ago and Mike Mike King saying that the the mental health system is broken was it a matter of actually just taking some action like kind of like you had in the past or because everyone's good at sharing a post on social media and <laughs> but when I think like, yeah I, it's funny shove, I, think, I think that was genuinely the catalyst for for me wanting to do it um, and starting up my sort of relationship with I Am Hope. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, I Am Hope basically provides the counselling um, free of charge for under-18s in New Zealand. Um, and they lost, as Cal says, they, they, they couldn't get enough funding to provide the amount of counselling they needed. And there was, this, there was this post going around and people sharing it and I sort of looked at it and thought, oh, fuck you guys, you can't just share this and, and act like you care and not do anything. So... I wanted to do something that was slightly, I don't know, I guess people always donate money for people doing dumb things. So that was the first thing I did was running 654K in a month. And then last year I did the the golf thing, which I'm guessing you're probably going to want to talk about. The the 607 holes in 10 days for I Am, am Hope. Just before we talk about the, the golf that you played, 
what is the foundation and the and the kind of the movement to try combat so youth suicide and mental health mean to you personally? Um, it's interesting. I haven't. I mean, like anyone else, I've gone through times that have been harder than others. Um, but it's not. It's not like I've been personally been depressed or even my friends, family, I haven't had anyone uh, who's taken their life through suicide. Um, But it was, it just felt like something that mattered to everyone and and being able to give an opportunity to someone who needs it was, it just felt good. Felt like it was, it was, it mattered something that I could easily do to, to give back. Yeah. And give back is probably an understatement. I think, what you did, and and to be fair to a, to a lot of people, I see, I see a lot more people kind of popping up, actually doing challenges like this. I know a bloke I went to school with this year ran ran around Hagley Park for twenty four hours to raise as much money as he possibly could. So like, people yeah, it's are, definitely out there, and, and I think that that's half the battle. It's not just the funding; it's the awareness. Um, and it, and it seems to be growing and I'm, I'm happy that I was able to contribute in that space for, for a little bit. So the 607 <laughs> holes in 10 days, just can you just logistically talk me through how that worked? <laughs> like it, it's well, it just, wasn't, I mean, it was 607 holes in 10 days, but that wasn't the, I think my biggest miscalculation was that I played, I think I played 16 different golf courses and, and I started the in, at Royal Auckland and finished at the Hills in Queenstown. So it wasn't just the golf, it was the getting from A to B as well. Um, so yeah, I played, I think 15, 16 golf courses and played yeah, 607 holes in 10 days. And I think we raised $20,000 for I Am Home. Yeah. Right, it's, it's incredible, like the amount of, money of just the diverse things that you've you've done like (laughs) this was this was a fun one though like it was it was fucking hard like i i think it worked out to be i think i walked 300 kilometers how are the how are the feet nah no good (laughs) no good at all they were absolutely shot and to be honest they're still pretty fucked (laughs) they're absolutely cooked those the things that you've done are directly impacting the yeah. the feet, aren't yeah. they? Like the the running. Because well, for the golf, I was actually really the the thing I was most worried about with the golf was like my back, my back, and like my shoulders, and like more upper body. But I I think the thing that actually fucked me up the most was just walking, mm. and like walking the hills and walking Kinlock, walking Millbrook Coronet worst walking golf course ever yep i can definitely see that it's horrific and it's like genuinely some of the walks teeter green are like hiking it's like it's a sport it's a proper sport yeah like uh, and, they, and that 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 was probably what cooked me the most was some of the golf course selections but they, yeah. i wanted to play the best golf courses and that was a oh, yeah, nice way to condense them into a trip <laughs> and your, hey, your missus can't say no to a 10-day summer golf trip if it's for charity, eh? No, that's – yeah, well, well said. And how did the how did, how did the back pull up? Because 
notoriously <laughs> gone through some <laughs> gone through some back I, issues. I thought you'd pick that up. No, it's actually <laughs> it's actually not too bad to be fair. Um, mm. I did about zero stretching over the course of those ten days, so uh, it, it was just survival really the golf swing got a little bit dusty towards the end but we, oh, we no fucking doubt. got there we fucking got there look mate I've, I've kept you for nearly for nearly an hour and a quarter just a, the last couple of couple of things we we want to talk about we got what what do you think your the worst hole in the in the country is we'll just complete well what you've done for charity is is amazing and and i think we've we've discussed so we'll finish, we'll finish on a high. We'll finish, with, we'll finish on a high because, yeah, you don't yeah. want to go down that. But, yeah. Um, um, my least favourite hole in New Zealand is uh, – I. it's hard because I fucking love this place and, and I love the people there and I absolutely love playing this place. But the ninth hole at Kinlock might be the worst hole in New Zealand. And it's 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 so it's like a for for those who haven't played it it's it's the most narrow squeezed up hole like the dri- the entrance to a, for a driver is so small and there's this it's like squeezed by these two dunes and this green just sits up like oh, eight meters above above the playing level and to try and fly one up there a to get your drive and play and if you miss just like five meters left you've got a completely blind approach from like 160 meters to to this perched green that you can't see. It's nuts. But again, it's just part of the routing, you know, like a lot of golf courses that have terrain that's that extreme, there's going to be a shithole as like a connecting hole. And, and unfortunately, Kinlock has number nine. Yeah. Well, my, my least favorite hole in the country is actually from – a course that we're going to do our our power rankings, New Zealand power rankings, from a course that's in mine is eighteen at Parapara-Am. I think that's a that's a dusty hole. I just yeah. Maybe oh, if they made it a part no, I don't. Agree. I don't agree. I don't agree. Okay. What well, do I, you? I like? I actually think that finishing stretch seventeen eighteen at Parapara-Am is awesome. So it's oh, funny. Mate, See, the, like that's that's why we. That's why knowing anything about golf courses if you think you know something you don't because someone else thinks yeah. something else like there's no yeah. uh, i just i think that closing stretch at para para that 15 well, 16 the, 17 18 is phenomenal 15 16 17 is probably the best stretch of what, golf in what the country like about 18 i just i think it just shouldn't be a par, par five i just think it's just a short par five the only troubles that Internal OB on the right, which internal OBs subject I don't to know. opinion. It, I mean, just, to be honest, just, every time I've played it, it's played into a stiff headwind. Uh, so maybe yeah, it okay. felt slightly longer, but yeah, I think a gettable five to finish is, is quite a often quite a cool way to finish around as well. Yeah, fair enough. And maybe it's just because those holes before it are just so so good that it's just a little bit. Sixteen and seventeen are so jet. So good. Oh, I love so good. So much. Yeah, the the best. Uh, like, oh, I I could dribble all, all right, day you, about you, how good those are. You you reel off your top three now. Okay, we'll go ACs first. He left them in, so we'll go three to one. <laughs> there he is. Um, ACs was Jackson. Hang on, three. hang on. Let me guess. He doesn't have kidnappers in it, does he? Nah, 
it's not in it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> yeah. So he's gone Jacks at three, Kinlock at two, and Para at one. So Para at one. Cool. Yeah. Mine, very similar. Uh, I've gone Christchurch at three. I've gone. Is it... Okay. And that's gone... obviously post Reno. Post Reno, definitely post yeah, Reno. Yeah. And okay, I've interesting. Gone, I've gone Jackson and Para. I'm I'm not as well as diverse as, as AC. I haven't played as many tracks as him, uh, but they're my three – just out of pure enjoyment to play, I, I think. Not necessarily design-wise. I just think out of – I get the most enjoyment out of those courses. And notoriously, Jackson's on it, but I don't love resort courses. I don't think any – Golf purist does, but Jack's pretty special. No, nah, but I think I think Jack's has enough there that makes it a good golf course, not not resort <clears throat> golf. You know, I think when they get like the green complex is really interesting. Um, the when it gets firm and fast, ball bounces, gets fucking windy. Like there's enough there to make it not so resorty. You know. Yeah. No. Nah, fair enough. And what were yours to to wrap up the pot? <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Tarahidi would be number one, but we're gonna we'll leave that one off because it's too yeah, obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd go TRI South, Kidnappers, and Pram. Yeah, I think no Kin- particular Kinlock. order. Yeah, that's the order. Um, okay, nice. And then Kin- Kinlock just gets pipped. I love Kinlock. I think it's so good. Probably not so good if your handicaps above. 18 15 um and i'll give you i'll give you my favorite golf course that isn't in the top 10 and that's a hopi beach okay nice um i love a hopi i think it's so underrated i see it on lists at like 46 47 and i just think it deserves so much more i think it's at least as good as Murawai. yeah fair um i'm also a big fan of titarangi as, as well i just think Titarangi is in my top seven, probably, mm. which I yeah. see often outside of that. I think Wyrick is very, very overrated. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I'd just, probably agree. I, I, I think, like everyone else, I love spending time at Wyrick. I think it's a lovely place, but I think architecturally, and, and I don't think the golf holes are actually that interesting, but people love it and fair play to them. They see yes. Greens running at 12 and fairways that are in perfect nick. And, and Bambi <laughs> running across the fairway. <laughs> Might yeah, get your yeah, eyes exactly. on, a, on a Kiwi if, you, if you're real lucky. You know? And it's don't get me wrong, I'd love to go there tomorrow, but mm. um, it's, I think it gets heavily overrated just because of where it is and, and what it looks like. Yeah, mate, for sure. And really appreciate your time. And just before we go, tell tell the listeners where, where we can find your stuff. Uh, so you can, you can find a lot of my stuff on, uh, on Instagram. Just, I think it's just at the Kiwi Caddy or at the Kiwi Caddy, um, Kiwi Caddy, the Kiwi Caddy.com, I believe is the website handle where you'll find like all the course guides, the ratings, um, a few of my articles that I've written up and you can find my sort of more dense writing, uh, over at the wandering golfers.com. 
Well, mate, really, really appreciate you jumping on for nearly an hour and 20 minutes. Get, yeah, I, know, I know you'll be hanging out for dinner probably now. It's getting about 7 o'clock. So, you know me, yeah. man. I'll be in the pit in about an hour 20. Might <laughs> might even stretch in and watch uh, the first eight overs of the Ashes tonight, mate. You never know. Yeah, mate. Re- really appreciate your time, Matt, and, and what you've done for, for some charities over the country is um, pretty impressive and yeah, I, I don't think people give you enough credit for that. So really well Thanks, done. Mate. And the, the stuff on the that. Kiwi, the stuff on the Kiwi Caddy is just getting bigger and bigger. And yeah, get get around it, everyone. And thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Why didn't you just go home? That's your home.